You're listening to a sermon of Meadowbrook Church in Ocala, Florida. For more media resources, visit us online at www.nbcocala.com. Well, before I get into uh, the message here this morning, which I'm excited to get into, I want to share with you uh, something that's very important that I believe the Lord has, well, I know that the Lord has directed us to, to do and engage ourselves in. And it's very, very important and very, very exciting. Um, as a ministry, we have committed ourselves to an, uh, a ministry of excellence. Everybody say excellence. And I believe because of who we serve, the Lord, I think it demands that we do things in excellence. Can I get an amen on that this morning? Excellence uh, also is demanded because who we're serving also in regards to people. Because the people that we serve, say that's me, the Bible tells us in, in the book of Acts, it says that you need to, in Acts chapter 10, it said you need to be very, very careful how you treat the people because God thought enough of them to die for them. So that also demands excellence. Excellence, our definition of excellence as a core value of the ministry is this. Excellence is manifest when you do what is best. Best is only best until you can do Until you can do better. Well, you're never going to know if you're doing best where it's time to do better unless you review and revise. And so we're constantly doing that in the ministry. And um, we keep watching different areas and different things to make sure God is just the best we can do right now. And and I believe that, again, excellence in ministry demands that. I know. And uh, uh, but as we as we push on with excellence in ministry. And we're looking at areas. One thing became very, very apparent to us that we want to introduce to you today. Um, and it is this. Next generation family ministries. Next generation family ministries. I want you to get that in your eye. Now, if you'll remember in the series that we did called Looking Forward, I quoted Pastor Brian Houston from Hillsong Church in Australia. And I love this quote. And it's in my heart deep here. And it's our loyalty to the future must be greater than our loyalty to the past. I want you to say it with me. Our loyalty to the future must be greater than our loyalty to the past. Earlier, we quoted out of Psalm 100 verse 5. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to what? Say it again. To what? One more time. I want to make sure we got it. To all generations. Not just my generation. Not just your generation. I was actually accosted by a, a lady first service, before service, about why we didn't sing a couple songs that she really likes. And I said, hang on, hang on, because I've got some things to say this morning. And, and what, what we're going to be dealing with here in the next few minutes will help you to understand something. Our loyalty to the future must be greater than our loyalty to the past. If you remember also this quote, that when our... When our memories are greater than our dreams, we've begun to die. And so we've got to dream and dream big. Come on, church, we've got to dream and dream big. So next generation family ministries. First of all, let me tell you the what about it. The what. This is all going to fall under the un- an umbrella, so to speak, of nursery, children, teens, and college career ages. And those ministries, we have to raise up this next generation. We have to 
to become fully devoted. Are y'all hearing me? Fully devoted followers of Jesus. Not just, you know, patty cake and do a puppet and sing a song and make a craft and go home. The whole thing all the way through. Nursery, children, teens, college and career. All through that whole area, all of those ministries. We've got to do everything that we can to help them become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Amen. We're not just called to make converts. We're called to make disciples. Here's the why. Here's the why of this. Uh, In looking at some research, and I'm familiar with research from previously, and this is some fresh research. Seven out of eight. Everybody say seven out of eight. Seven out of eight people that ever get born again do so by the age of 21. Hear it again. Seven out of eight people that ever get born again, do so by the age of 21. After age 21, the the chances, the percentages of a person becoming born again diminish greatly, 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 greatly. So our best shot is by age 21. Further, a worldview. I did the whole series called Filter. Do you remember that? Your worldview is the lens. It's the filter that you view the world, that you make your decisions, that you... uh, evaluate things and, and your priorities and judgments are based on how you see the world. And I believe that the only correct worldview is what we call a biblical worldview. Thank you for your enthusiasm, a biblical worldview, which means we see things through the truth and the light of God's word. And that's why we believe certain things that politically they're saying it's okay and this is okay and that's okay. You know what? That all keeps moving. It's such a moving target. It changes all the time. And everybody's going to find out ultimately that God was right. And what we have to do is help everyone get a biblical worldview. To be able to view life, navigate life, make judgments, make your priorities through the lens of God's word. Well, a study show that a person's worldview, are y'all ready for this? Is essentially established by age 13. Then beyond the ages, from the ages of 15 to 25, that's when they're further refined and then ultimately just crystallized. So seven out of eight people that get born again do so by age 21. Their worldview is essentially set by age 13 and then tweaked, so to speak, and then finally crystallized by age 25. You know what that says to me? Listen to me. Do you know what that says to me? It says that that is probably our highest value target. Nursery, children, teens, college and career. So what are we going to do about this? Here's the how. To make this idea become reality, we're restructuring our team. We're adding some key players uh, so that we can be as strong as we can be across the board here. I'll I'll introduce to you by way of picture here in a moment some of the guys that we're adding to the team. Um, Through teaching, through classes, through camps, through events, through mentoring, through coordinated curriculum. Let me tell you what coordinated curriculum is. If I'm out here teaching on the armor of God... The ministry-wide, let's say we're having steak out here. Well, then we'll puree that for the little ones. And we'll cut it up in little pieces for those that can chew a little meat. And we'll go all the way through so that when we go home, we've all been fed the same thing. We're all, we're all going. And, and throughout the week, we've got something to talk about. And we can learn and we can move and roll with these kind of things. 
coordinated across the board. Thank you for clapping because also one of the things we're going to do is we're going to upgrade all of our uh, learning environments, all of our auditoriums and classrooms and and, and possibly even do uh, an expansion on the gym so that we can accommodate all that. So I'm coming back to you in February, okay? And we're, we're going to take about 90 days and we're going to raise some money. It's a very, very doable thing. I actually figured it out just based on a preliminary number, about eight bucks a week for 90 days. For a 90-day period, we can, we can totally do what we need to do to fix up, fix up some rooms. And if you want to start giving, you can, but I'm not, I'm not coming after you until February, okay? But we're going to do it because the rooms have to be upgraded. We've got to involve some technology. It's got to, it has to be engaging environments for them. I mean, you go to pizza places and do all kinds of cool stuff. The church needs to be the place that your kids, your young people are saying, I can't wait to get there. And we've got to do it right. All of this will be full blown by January 1. We are in transition now, making all of those things happen. Uh, and, and we're hot and heavy on it. And I am just thrilled and driven uh, about what's going to do. I want to show you the team just real quick. We'll show you by way of video. Uh, the, uh, here's the, the structure, so to speak, next generation. Everybody say next generation. Who cares about the next generation? There you go. Next generation, the team pastor for that is Pastor Sean Forte. Pastor Sean's grown up in here. He's grown up at this church. He's been our our student ministries pastor for a good number of years. And he is a well-able minister, so creative. And this vision is just burning in him. He he will be the team pastor. Um, Then we'll have nursery, children, Fuse JV, which is junior high. Then senior high and then C20, which is our college in 20 something that encompasses that whole area that we're talking about. That's where a major focus needs to be put major emphasis by this church on that. The team pastor will be Pastor Sean Forte, next generation pastor. And as I said, Pastor Sean, his wife, Jess, and their their two kids, they've been with us uh, a long, long time growing up here. We're going to give you a card on your way out today that has all the information that I've just given you so that you'll know it and get it in your heart and you can be sharing it. And most of all, you can be praying about it. Second of all is uh, over C20 is Jordan Vale, who's also grown up at this church. Jordan uh, recently graduated with his Bachelor of Science in Practical Theology. Uh, he's a servant's heart and, a, and an able anointed teacher, and he will be the lead in, in our College in 20-something, C20. Then in uh, Fuse, Fuse, which is our, our student ministry, Senior High, Ben Bowman, who also grew up at this church, continuing in his education as well. Ben is anointed. He is a workhorse and he has such a heart for this generation. And so Ben and his uh, new wife, Megan, uh, will be, be heading that up. Fuse JV, uh, Tim Nelson. Tim Nelson grew up in this church, grew up mostly in my home. And uh, <laughs> Tim's recently married, also recently earned his uh, Bachelor of Science in Practical uh, Theology as well. Uh, one of the funniest people, but a huge heart and a wonderful, wonderful young man that I'm so proud of and his wife, Maddie, and they'll be over our junior high fuse fuse JV. Now, Joe Garboden was over fuse JV. We're putting Joe in the children's ministry. Joe grew up here. I think he was actually born here. And, um, 
Joe served for many, many, many years in the children's ministry. And then about four or five years ago, put him over Fuse JV. Now, having been on that side of the fence, he knows what to prepare these children for. He's able and excited. And uh, Joe and Chastity, and, and they got three kids. I was going to say 11, but it's, it's three. And they'll be there. Now, he's saying children's ministry. Well, what happened to Pastor Steve? Pastor Steve has been with us with for 21 years. He's the longest tenure on the staff besides Alicia and I. And we hope that he is with us. He and Miss Wendy are here another 21 years. His passion, and I watch for passion in people. Where is their passion? I don't want them just working on something because I told them to do it. But his passion, I just kind of watch that shift more and more to IT, to technology and that kind of thing. He just, I mean, if we have a question, we go to him. And, and so we're shifting him over IT, photography, and some other things as well. And so he'll be very busy and much more visible to the, to the whole church as well. But Joe will be over the children's ministry. And then Pam Thomas, who, uh, and I say this all the time, I do not want to do a Sunday without Pam. She's the unseen angel that's making so many things work all over the place. And she'll be over, over the nursery ministry as well. Folks, we have got to do this. There's all out social, spiritual, everything else war totally focused on this next generation. And we are going to do our part for the future of this church, for the future of this country, and for the future of the kingdom of God. We've got to give ourselves like never before to this next generation. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you. I appreciate your support on that. And on your way out, we'll have these cards available so that you have all that information again so that you'll know it and you can share it and also mostly be praying. Like I said, we are uh, in transition right now, getting things going, and we hope to be full-blown by January 1. So, amen. All right. Sermon 2. You ready for this? We're going to talk about the armor of God. How many of you know the war is won? Well, for the rest of you, the war is won. I'm announcing peace, proclaiming news of happiness. Our God reigns. And the war is won. But battles still continue. We're still on this planet. And you watch, you watch. You know, when everything's all said and done, Christ is the victor. And us in him. But we're still here on this planet. The devil still has some time left on his lease. And there are battles being waged. And you fight them hand to hand, day by day by day by day. You ever sometimes feel like you're not just fighting one, but maybe you've been surrounded. And we're fighting. But I've got some great news for you, though. You can win. And I'm not here to just give you some fluff today and say, you can win. You can. No, I'm here. I, I have no authority to even say that except by the word of God. And to let you know that you can win. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 through 15. It says finally my brethren. Say that's me. And brethren there let that be gender everybody. Okay. Brethren be strong as believers. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you. Say that's me. That you may be able to stand. Say stand. Stand against the wiles of the devil. A couple things real quick. With God's strength that he gives and with God's armor that he provides, if you'll take those things to yourself, his strength and his armor, you will be able to stand. I said you will be able to stand. Let's read on in verse 12. For we do not wrestle. Oh, we wrestle. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. Actually, it has to do with to resist, to overcome in the evil day. And having done all, help me, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth. We talked about that two weeks ago. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We talked about that last week. And then today, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I want to show you a picture here of a guy full, fully armored. And uh, if you'll notice again the belt of truth. That's one of the last things put on uh, because it kind of holds it together. And truth will hold you together. Then the breastplate of righteousness that we spent time on last week. And then notice today, and you don't get a very good view here, but his feet. And it's very important, the covering that are on his feet. Let me describe for you historically what those shoes, those boots, those gospel cleats uh, would be about. Thick leather soles embedded with hobnails or cleats for increased traction. Straps and ties on with numerous leather straps uh, became more comfortable with use and wear and was certainly not about appearance. But how many of you know a lot of times with our shoes, it might would be about appearance. How many of you ladies have more than two pairs of shoes? Okay. All right. Good. And, and, and I'm guilty too. And we have them. And when we get them, a couple of things that we're after. Appearance, but I learned a few years ago, there better be some comfort. There better be some comfort. Now I got a long story I could tell you about that, but I'm going to skip that this morning. Comfort and appearance. But in particular to ladies shoes, I ran across an article on ladies shoes that is entitled why we love the shoes that hurt us. And here's some of the, some of the reasons. Hey, and listen, I'm all for great shoes. And don't let this offend anybody. But, you know, when I met my wife, I was glad she wore some cool shoes and, you know, not like earth shoes or something, you know, for our first date. But anyway, why we love the shoes that hurt us, they express power and control. They flatter the calf and the ankle. They lengthen the leg. They add height, they're glamorous and attractive, and it has become expected. But beyond just the comfort and the appearance, I, I want to go a little bit further and take another aspect of shoes here for a moment. And to do that, I'm going to throw you back into my childhood, okay? And for some of you in church, this may be the first time you've ever had this happen in a church service, but we're going to go ahead and do this. So if you could roll this, just 37 seconds out of my childhood. Yeah! Now, this is the closing theme song. They'll start singing in a minute, and I want you to listen carefully to the words. That made me feeling better already. Well, now it's time to say goodbye to Jed and all his kin. They would like to thank you folks for kindly dropping in. You're all invited back next week to this locality to have a heaping helping of their hospitality. Hillbilly, that is. Satis Bell. Take your shoes off. Take your shoes off. Y'all come back now. Here. Yeah. How many of you, that's the first time you ever saw anything like that in church before? How many of you know God still loves you and he's got something powerful for you today? 
Amen. Now, he said toward the end there, to have a heaping helping of our hospitality, hillbilly that is, set a spell, take your shoes off. Y'all come back now, you hear? Now, what he was saying is relax. Make yourself at home. Take it easy. Just do nothing for a while. How many of you like that? That's called heaven. (laughs) So Paul is talking about quite the opposite here. Instead of set a spell, take your shoes off. Paul is saying, put your shoes on. Get those things laced and strapped up. Get ready and stay ready. And the context of this, of having our feet covered in the right way, is that we're ready, that we're prepared. It's the preparation of the gospel of peace that helps you to be able to stand. It's in the context, and we see in the passage we read, it's in verse 11, verse 13, verse 14, that connects to the overall theme here that we stand. Everybody say stand. That we are able to stand. Now think about this. You cannot stand without the whole armor of God. The way it's worded there, it says, put on the whole armor of God so that you would be able to stand. So the inverse is true. Without the armor of God, you're not going to be able to stand. And then take it further, even with the whole armor, completely armed and armored, you're going to have trouble standing if you don't have your feet covered in the right way. You can have all that on and, you know, we could show that guy again. And we have all that on and you're in your bare feet. Or you're, you're wearing some little socks with a little fuzzy ball on the back, you know. And that's not going to get it for you because you're not going to be able to stand with that too. You need cleats. And then just think the terrain alone. The terrain alone is ouch. How many of you have ever had to go outside at night to get something or whatever and you didn't wear your shoes and you can't really see and you're like. You know, it's, it's, it was the birth of breakdancing. You know, and, and you're feeling stuff and, oh, and it sticks and it's rocks. And we've got like hickory nuts and, and burrs and a snake, a spider, and saw a puppy in the yard earlier. And, you know, you got all that going on, you know, that's not good. And then if you add the whole weight of the armor, in addition to being barefooted or not, properly shod you're in trouble as well and you would not be properly outfitted you're not ready you're not equipped unless you have your feet covered in the proper way now these boots with nails cleats really are for this purpose and i want you to get this in your thinking here to grip the ground to grip the ground tell your neighbor get a grip and really this is where we get it it's able to grip the ground. You've got to be able to do it. The very purpose of this is traction. So in life, in battles, in projects, just maintaining life, in family, in finances, in all kinds of situations, you're going to have to be able to grip the ground or you know what you become? A pushover. And it's time that we are able to, having done all to, to stand And that's what this is about. The New English Bible, the Moffat's Bible, the Amplified Bible, all point to this idea of firm footing, stability. The Amplified Bible says it this way, firm footed stability. Because if you don't have your feet properly covered, 
You're going to be unstable. You're going to have no agility. You're going to have pain with every step, uncertainty with every step, and you're going to be slipping and sliding around. In the, in the spotlight video, you saw that earlier in our, our uh, flag football team. They did so awesome. It was just a thrill to watch. So much heart involved in all of this. And you saw the little guy at the end running. Guy runs like lightning. And I thought it was very fitting. He had these almost glow-in-the-dark yellow shoes, too. It's like create this little yellow blur, you know, for the opponents. And, but think if he'd gone out there in little slippers or barefooted or little, little toe socks or whatever, you know. He wore the proper thing. He had cleats. And then if you know what you're doing and you've got the strength and help to, to go in to do this. And uh, you're able to run and cut in and out and actually go fight, win and score. You know, and so this is so important that we are prop, our feet are properly covered. Otherwise, we won't have agility. We won't have certainty. We'll, we'll be taking our steps but with fear because, well, I don't know what's there. But if your feet are properly covered, you're not worried about what is there. And what the terrain would be, you're not worried about that because you're able to grip it and grip the ground. So a number of things happen here. I'm going to share three with you real quick, and then I'm going to come back at the end and share a fourth one with you. Having your feet shod in the proper way, first of all, helps you to stand. Everybody say stand. And this simply means this. You ready? To hold your ground. How many of you would admit or you suppose there are a number of things arranged against you in your life that are trying to cause you to lose ground? To lose your peace, to lose your mind, to lose your health, to lose your finances, to lose your family, to lose confidence, to lose whatever. There's a lot of things pushing against you. And you've got to have this firm-footed stability so that you can stand. The second thing, you've got to have firm-footed stability so that you can fight. Everybody say fight. Think of that fully armed and armored soldier. He's got the shield of faith that we'll talk about soon. He's got the sword of the spirit. Both of those have a lot of weight to them. And what you have to be able to do is to be able to fully exert yourself without slipping. It'd be a horrible thing to have all this stuff and you're slip sliding away. That's a song. Uh, Later. But you know, if you're, you're, taking a blow or you're using your shield even as a weapon you you've got to have some firm-footed stability to be able to fight and to exert yourself and then using that sword and in whichever way you would do it you've got to be able to exert yourself without slipping and then last of all or not last but thirdly is to move everybody say move how many of you know it's not okay to just stay where you are See, some people just get to a place in life and it's like, well, I got enough money and I got enough of this and this and this and this. And you know what? It's not about you. It's not just about you. And so you got to realize that throughout life, you need to be a lifelong learner. You need to continue to grow. You need to blossom. You need to flourish. The Bible says still bearing much fruit, even in your elder years. And we're to continue. We're not just to, you know, me, mine, and, and we're good enough right here. You're to be moving, growing, learning. And you've got to have firm-footed stability to be able to do that as well, to take ground. So how do we do this? How do we do this? In, in uh, verse 15, Ephesians 6, 15, in the New Living Translation. Y'all with me? The best is yet to come. Hang on with me here. It says, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. 
In the Amplified Bible, it says, And having shod your feet in preparation to face the enemy with the firm-footed stability, the promptness, and the readiness produced by the good news of the gospel of peace. Listen to me. The gospel brings peace. The gospel brings peace. Paul said in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It means wholeness for those who believe. For those that believe. The gospel brings peace. Say it with me. The gospel brings peace. What is the gospel? It's good news. Good news brings peace. Recently in our men's advance, we had a a guy that came up from Tampa to be a part of the men's advance. He called me in the afternoon, um, close to him. And he called me and he said, my truck broke down. I said, do you need me to come get you? And he said, no, I'm fine. Uh, He said, I'm right near a little place. I think I can get it fixed. I asked him that night at dinner, did you get your truck back? He said, no, they weren't able to get to it yet. Next morning, I asked him, you heard anything on your truck? He said, no, they, they hope they'll get to it sometime this morning. I got a message from him uh, later that weekend that he said they called him and he got good news. It was a fuse. How many of you know that good news brings peace? Come on, good news brings peace. And so this good news of what Jesus has done and who he is and what's he, what he wants to do in and through our lives, it brings peace. And it's the kind of peace that will guard your heart and guard your mind even in the middle of raging combat. All kinds of things going on, but you can still have this peace on the inside. But it involves preparation. Everybody say preparation. It is said to be prepared is half the victory. To be prepared is half the victory. Also, success comes when preparation meets opportunity. Success comes when preparation meets opportunity. Let's look at the other end of this. It is hard to build a foundation during a flood. I'll say it again. It's hard to build a foundation during a flood. What must we be? We must be prepared. We must be prepared in the gospel, which ultimately means this. Continuous, look here, continuous exposure to... An intake of the word of God. You've got to be feeding on the word. You've got to be taught the word. You've got to release your faith and say, I believe God's word. You've got to fully embrace and love this gospel of peace. And if you'll be prepared in the gospel, get this. If you'll be prepared in the gospel, the gospel will prepare, will prepare you. This is the bottom line. If you'll be prepared in the gospel... The gospel will prepare you because you'll know what you need to know. And by gospel, I'm not just talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm talking about his story, his truths, his example, his teaching, his miracles, his love, his plan. Put that all together and the gospel brings peace. But if you don't know this, that you don't know that God is your victor and that he'll help you with this. And many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he delivers them out of all, out of them all. And nothing can get between you and the love that God has for you. And on and on and on and on. If you're not prepared in this, you're not prepared for battle. Your feet aren't covered right. And the more prepared you are in the gospel, the more the gospel will prepare you to be able to stand in the time of battle. In Psalm 119, verse 165, it says, great peace. Everybody say, great peace. Great peace have those who love your law. 
And what's this? And nothing causes them to to stumble. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Get this again. When you are prepared in the gospel, the gospel will prepare you. What is the gospel? Well, let me give you the very bottom line. God forgives and then he gives. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He came out of the plan of God, prophesied for years, perfectly lined up. He came as an innocent child, born of a virgin. He grew in wisdom and stature and and he dwelled among us, John says. I love it in the uh, Message Bible. It says he moved into the neighborhood. And he came and he lived among us and he lived a perfect life. And he didn't, he didn't hang out with all the religious guys in the long robes and all their sad faces. But he hung out with the broken people and the lost people because he said, you know what? I came to seek and save that which is lost. And those that think they're so righteous, you know, the sick don't need a doctor. But he said, I came to help those that need help and want help. And he was a friend of sinners. He lived a perfect life and he did miracles right before our eyes. And he manifested the love and he demonstrated the love of God all over the place. And then the enemy, thinking that they were going to do themselves justice and they were going to fulfill their own plan, actually played into the hand of God. And they arrested him, they crucified him. And he became sin for us. He took our sins. He who knew no sin took our sin, became our sin. And he died on that cross and he was buried on the third day. Satan thought he was burying him. He actually was just planting him. And now there's sons and daughters of God all over the place. And the third day he rose again from the grave. Amen. Took care of some business and he spent almost six weeks on this earth. Teaching his followers, filling in the blanks concerning the kingdom of God. Connecting the dots on how this whole thing works. He said, now I'm going to leave again. He said, but I'm not going to leave you alone. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to empower you and he's going to teach you and he's going to help you. And wait and don't go do anything till you get him in your life. And he sent it into heaven. And the Holy Spirit was released. And he's given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. So that we can have and enjoy life to the full. Till it overflows now and eternally. And in short, that's the gospel. And if you believe the gospel and you get yourself prepared in this gospel that brings peace, it will also prepare you so that you can stand in the middle of the battle. These shoes, these boots, these cleats help you to stand strong and to fight hard and to move and step freely without fear. So that you can take care of what you're taking care of. Because you don't have to worry about what you're stepping on or if you're going to slide or what the terrain is or what's down there. What what might be lurking for you because you have that firm-footed stability. You can now give your full attention to what you're working on and what you're trying to do. And the battle at hand and the things you're dealing with. It will equip you to do that. If you're prepared in the gospel and the good news. It will prepare you for this battle. Now I've given you three things. I want to give you one more here real quick. What he's saying is stand ready. Take your shoes off. No, that's later. Put your shoes on. Get yourself where you love this word of God. 
This gospel, you're taught in it. You grow in it. You're regularly here. You love it. You don't just read it. You let it speak to you. And the more you do that, the more it's going to prepare you again to be able to stand and to be able to fight and to be able to move. But I have one more thing that I want to show you that will help you to be able to do. It will make you able to help. Because you've got to help others. You've got to be able to help others to maintain or regain their footing. Do you hear me? You've got to have some firm-footed stability so that you can help some others to maintain theirs or to regain theirs. In Ecclesiastes uh, 4.10, it says, For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Wouldn't it be sad if you fall, if you trip, if you're losing your balance, and there's no one around to help you? How about you be the one also that's able to have some firm-footed stability? So yes, you can stand, and yes, you can fight, and yes, you can move and take ground. But also, and I think this is probably the highest of it all, is that you're able to help somebody else. Romans 15.1 in the Message Bible says this. Strength is for service. Not for status. Strength is for service. Not for status. Let me share something with you and then I'll close. This past Friday I was honored to be invited to uh, give the opening prayer. The invocation for um, as a chaplain for the sheriff's office for uh, SWAT competition. They have an amazing obstacle course out there and teams from all over the state came together. And I think there were like six in a team and I watched for about an hour and a half and then, then I had to leave, but they would go through these obstacle courses, climbing over things, climbing up ropes, sliding down things, crawling under, crawling over, going around. I mean, it was incredible. And there's probably about 12 stations that they had go through. And then probably about a 50 yard dash at the end, across the, the finish line. And I thought about, it, I could do this. If I had a month for each, each station, you know, it was amazing to me. And I watched the teams go and, and trying to get the best time and you cannot do it unless you work as a team and they're going over and under just like a team. It's, it's amazing. It's just like they're almost tied together over and under. And then guys are going up a a rope and they had ladies teams too. (laughs) Amazing. And they're going up the rope and one would help them get started and one would hold the rope and then they're jumping and they're climbing and they're going all over this. It's just incredible. And I'm so in awe of, of these people anyway because they help to keep you safe. When you're sleeping, they're helping to keep you safe. And I thought for them to hone their skills and to have some healthy competition and actually have some fun, I thought this is an amazing event. And I'm watching all of that happen. And as with any team, There's always a guy or two that's a little better than the rest of the team. There's always somebody that's a little bit faster, a little more agile and all of that. And, you know, and I watch this. And this is the point that I'm trying to get to right here. I watched team after team. And especially there was one team that I watched. And this this one guy was so much faster. He was so much more agile. He was just ahead of everybody. But he kept coming back and waiting. And they'd have to climb up something. He'd, He'd help to boost them up. And, and encouraging him and cheering everybody on. And he just, he would, he'd just kind of zip over stuff and just, and just do it. And then at the very end, part of the mindset would be, I'm the fastest guy. I got all of this down. Now here's the 50-yard dash. I'm going to run and be impressive and cross that line. But you know what I watched him do? I watched him be the last guy. 
Because he waited for a guy that was either weary, slow, or injured. And cheering him on and pulling him on. And and then that last final, and they are exhausted. They've exerted so much of that. And now they've got about a 50-yard dash to run. And instead of crossing the line first and saying, you know, I'm the guy. And being impressive, he stayed back and he's running. He's got his hand in the guy's back. Come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And pushing all the way across and then they crossed the line together. He became the last guy. I'd rather be that kind of guy than some kind of impressive guy. And so, yay, that we can stand and we can fight and we can move and take ground. But you know what? I think the most highble, most high, most noble, most holy thing that you could do is to be able to help. We're blessed, but so we can be a blessing. We have strength, but it's not so we can be impressive. It's so we can help somebody. And this whole New Testament, this gospel that we love has to do with love one another and bear with one another and be patient with one another and forgive one another and help one another. Because we can come to church and look like everybody's got it all together and we can smile and, you know, fancy shoes and everything else. But sometimes we're hurting, sometimes stuff's going on, and sometimes you're surrounded with things. And you know what? We have got to be people, and we've got to have people around us that are able to help. And by being prepared in the gospel, the gospel will prepare you so that you can have firm-footed stability to stand, to fight, to move, and most of all, to help. Amen. Did you get anything at all out of this today? Thank you, Lord.